Hello, I'm Sarah Khan and welcome to Backing Brilliant Business, a series by Radio Centre. They're the people helping businesses of all sizes grow with great radio advertising. In this series, I will talk to guests who want to share their own unique expertise and experience to help you with your business. From marketing experts who have reshaped how we see a brand in the marketplace, to entrepreneurs who've started at the bottom and are now at the top of their field. Each episode, we'll look through our guest CV to discover the most rewarding and most challenging aspects of their career so far. And we discover their three key lessons in business, the learnings, advice and practices that they want to share to help you be better at whatever it is you do. In this episode, we're joined by Nick Hewer. Nick is a businessman, television presenter and former public relations consultant who's been working in business since his early 20s. Six years after joining his PR consultancy firm as a trainee, he joined the board and went on to buy out the owner to become the sole shareholder. Since then, he's experienced countless successes. He's appeared on The Apprentice as one of Lord Sugar's two key advisors for almost 10 years. Then he went on to host Countdown for almost eight years. In 2012, he was awarded an honorary degree from Kingston University. Today, he's joining us to talk about thinking like an entrepreneur and he'll share three lessons that will help you with your business. Mr Nick Hewer, how are you today? I'm very well. All the better for seeing you. <laughs> so, Mr. Hewer, uh, fondly known as Pops, okay, imagine me as the good looking version of Lord Sugar. I'm just going to go through your life CV um, and just pick out some key moments. 1960s, trainee at a PR consultancy at the age of 20. I'll tell you what happened. Um, so, I got to London, stayed with some friends who had a flat in uh, Earl's Court, and um, I went to um, sit in a sort of recruitment agency called, gosh, Manpower, I think it was. And it's quite funny, actually, because I sat there. A chap would come in. There were dozens of us. And he'd say, anybody here milk cow? And, <laughs> and then somebody else, anybody here um, able to repair motorbikes? Somebody, somebody would get up or they wouldn't. And somebody came in and said, anybody here drive a lorry? And I shot my hand up. I've never driven a lorry. I'd hardly ever been to London. And that afternoon, I was sweeping around the West End with a big truck delivering rolls of um, worsted material into the rag train. And then I thought, well, I can't do this. I did that for a week or two. And then um, I put an ad. I'd heard about this PR business, and I put an ad. So I was quite entrepreneurial, quite creative. In Instead of waiting to find an ad looking for a trainee, I put an ad in um, looking for a company that would appoint me as a trainee, and I did. How clever. Anyway, I was picked up by a chap called Michael Joyce, marvellous chap, and he took me on to learn this business. And I stayed in it from 1966, and I, I eventually bought the company, actually, uh, from him. What was interesting, I quickly proved my worth. I worked like a crazy man. Just mad. All hours. In fact, I would um, lock myself in the office so the concierge would come around and lock up. He couldn't find me. Um, and then I'd let myself out of the office at night and work. But I couldn't get out of the office, so I had to climb out of a window. <laughs> did you know what PR was? How did you learn? Well, 
I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I thought it was some terribly, um, I thought it was a sort of force for good. Yes. yes. So that you could talk to the, the workforce in a factory and explain to them in the most reasonable terms why it was quite acceptable that they should take a pay cut in the face of a declining market. And because the management was struggling to get new business, everybody would understand that it was just a question of informing and persuading and all the rest of it. Of course, there's nothing like that, really. It's certainly informing and persuading, but the business I was in was corporate. We didn't deal with individuals. So we dealt with sort of, over the years, governments, big multinationals. So we weren't running around in torn jeans, you know, promoting people on on um, reality television. Yeah, but did you love it? Did you love it? No. Oh. But it was very interesting and it was very hard work. And it was, it was tough. I was quite good. In fact, got a bit of a reputation for launching things. So, for instance, one of our biggest clients was Securicor, which was then gobbled up by Group 4, which was a Swedish company. But Securicor, we had had for 30 years, which was a bit like working for the civil service. Yeah, yes, yeah. It yeah. was sort of boring, but a huge company operating all over the world. They said, what are we going to do to explain the multitude of services that Securicor provides? I said, what are we going to do is we're going to <laughs> get a train and we're going to rip the inside of the train out and we're going to make it a mobile exhibition and we're going to drag it around every city in uh, the UK. So you get in at one end and you go down and you pass the... Oh, this is where the parcel sort of, you know, business and the Amazing. parcel scheme of it. Yeah, it was good. A great idea. Well, there you are. I'll give you that for free. Yes. And, um, <laughs> so that was one, and we did a lot. Well, in 83, you were hired by His Royal Highness Lord Sugar at uh, Amstrad to represent them. 21 years you worked for them. Yeah. Worked, well, worked with them, basically. How was that? What was your first impression of Lord Sugar? Well, it's, it's a great question because I mentioned Securicor. There you have the civil service. Yes. And then you've got Alan Sugar. Yes. Chalk yes. and cheese. You Chalk had a pirate on one hand and you had a civil servant on the other. And the joy of working for Alan Sugar was that, of course, and if you like the sound of gunfire, then you move towards Alan Sugar because there's always something going on. He's buying something, he's selling something, he's suing somebody, he's not suing, he's thinking about suing. He said the wrong thing. Launching a pro He's all <laughs> action, and I loved it. And he was a great, a great um, chap to work for. So I had a call to go and see them, and actually... I nearly resigned the account. Mm. Shall I tell you a quick story? Yeah, please do. Please. A chap called Malcolm Miller. He said, I'm Malcolm Miller, marketing director of Amstrad. Nice guy. He said, you'll have heard of us, of course. And I lied, Sarah. I said, well, yes, of course. <laughs> he said, well, I want you to come and see us. We're in the, uh, we're in the cheap end of the hi-fi market. And we won't, we're about to launch. We're about to go into the computer market. So I went to talk to him. He told me all about this computer. But this computer, the Amstrad computer, has got a monitor. I said, what we're going to do is we will trawl London and we will find children whose names exemplify the function of that computer. 
that computer has got music. So we'll find a little girl whose surname is Ravel. It's got colour. So why don't we find a little boy whose name is Manet, the great French Impressionist. And um, word processing, we'll find somebody called Shakespeare. And we're going to we're going to hold the launch in the um, Great Hall of Westminster School, which is in um, just off uh, Parliament Square. We will invite the press, the city, parliamentarians, people from the education department, all the rest of it. And it'll be terrific. And he said, let's do it. And we did it. Did you? Well, the share price doubled overnight. <gasps> it because really, sugar was the darling of the city because he was really making money. So, and it was exciting. And um, what was I hadn't met him, you see, by this time. You hadn't. So you'd done all of this and you hadn't met him. I hadn't met him. So as he left the Great Hall, he sort of looked at me and grunted. <laughs> we know. <laughs> Mal- Malcolm said, he said, my God, he said, you've got, you've had a grunt. I said, is that good? He said, that's amazing. Some people might wait for 18 months for a grunt <laughs> and you've got one on the first meeting. Brilliant. Now, the thing is, <laughs> but as soon as you prove yourself to yes, Alan Sugar, yes. anyway, and you know, you know yes, him. Yes, I do, um, I do. Yeah, it I was agree. a great relationship and um, it still is as a, on a social basis, but... It was great, and we had some fantastic battles. We had some terrifying times. We launched um, that computer, then another computer. Then we went into the PC market. We hired the QE conference centre in just off um, Parliament Square. And we hadn't, by this time, we were selling right across Europe. So we had all the um, subsidiaries bringing their press in. So we had multilingual simultaneous translation, and we launched this computer. All PCs in those days cost £2,000. Yes, yeah. This computer was 399 Amazing. And it completely transformed the um, computer market. We had 36% of the European market within three years. It was phenomenal. So then between 2005 and 2018, you joined The Apprentice. Yeah. Well, what happened was I retired. 2004, Alan Sugar organised a secret party for me at the Dorchester. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was lovely. 100 people, my family, and people that we had had dealings with over the years, you know, so the Amstrad people, the lawyers, the accountants. And then I went into retirement for about three weeks. Then he rang me up and said, where are you? Mm-hmm. I said, I'm in London. <laughs> we had, by this time, I'd got a, a house down in France, which I'd bought in 89, I think, and I was aiming to go down and you know spend most of the year there. I was in London on the day in question. He said, well, get up to the Dorchester. I want to talk to you. And I got there. He said, now, look, unlike me, you don't have a house in Florida. <laughs> and therefore, it's unlikely you'll have come across a chap called Donald Trump, who fronts a show called The Apprentice. And the BBC are getting the rights. And I want to be Donald Trump. Brilliant. And in a minute... A chap called Peter Moore's coming through that door. He's the producer. We've got to sell him the fact. Because they were chasing Philip Green. Oh, that was and, a narrow and I case. thought I thought they were also chasing um Richard Branson. And also the chap that ran uh, EasyJet. Oh, Stelios, yes. So in came Peter Moore, and it was a bit of a sort of disappointing meeting. And then I suggested that we took his team down to Alan's uh, um, mansion on the beach in Marbella and locked them in until they agreed, <laughs> which they did. 
And and it was Alan Sugar went on a wonderful journey. He has been amazing. Did you? I mean, look, we had lots of fun, but it is hard work. People think it's really easy just sitting there by the side of Lord Sugar and you know making it. It's hard work, isn't it? It was extraordinarily hard, and that's really why I gave it up. I did ten years, but it was hard all day, all day, every day. People think, oh, you know. Um, they do a they do a task a week. Not a bit of it, as you know. It was yeah. every day. Yes, it months. is. Um, but it's a wonderful show, and it's a worthwhile show. And people say, "Well, you don't really think those people are any good." And I said, "Look, I think you're missing the point, because the people that win and the runners up are exceptional people. Exceptional people. So it's it's a great learning experience for young. I used to get eight nine year old kids running up. Yes, to me. yeah." Little kids are learning about business and it's it's making business exciting for people. Business is hard. All the big employers have gone. British Steel, anybody? Gone. British Steel, gone. So people have got to think about starting their own business. That's it. I think it was the first time ever people felt, oh, well, I could I could do this myself. This podcast is brought to you by Radio Centre, who are helping businesses across the UK grow with radio advertising. Head to radiocentre.org forward slash business to discover how radio can boost your company's performance. Find out how the radio process works. Hear from businesses who have found success with audio advertising, access free training and even search for and be linked with stations in your area. You can find all that and more at radiocentre.org forward slash business. So, Nick, as we mentioned earlier today, we're talking about thinking like an entrepreneur. Now, why did you want to talk about this? I think this word entrepreneur is bandied around a great deal. Okay, I think that most great entrepreneurs, okay, don't have to think about it at all. And books are no good to them, okay? But, because they've got it in their tummy, it's a small worm. Well, it's quite a long worm, actually, and it's got entrepreneur written all the way down its back. The great entrepreneur, Sugar, you see, Alan Sugar was a great entrepreneur as a child. Very clever. He recognised that all mothers, new mothers and fathers, the first thing they wanted when the baby pops out is a photograph. Yeah. So he got himself a little camera, and in Hackney, he would trail around um, um, and take pictures of all the um, proud new parents and the baby. That was... And he he recognised a market. Yeah. Now, learning an entrepreneurship, and I think that it's it's that's a, a tougher ask, but, you know, there are uh, the lessons that I would say or that I would advise somebody setting out in business is first of all, well done. Secondly, is make sure you're doing something that you actually want to do, that you love. Yes. Because you can't wake up and, and, and decide that you can start an airline. That's not realistic. But if you're a, a, a biker, then you might like motorbikes, in which case you know how to you know repair them and so forth. You could become a motorcycle bloke, you know, repair guy. So today we're going to talk about three lessons you've learned about thinking like an entrepreneur. Your first lesson is be greedy. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? i tell you what, there are two types of uh, entrepreneur, if I could put it that way. One is by necessity, okay? And one is because you're greedy. 
when you want to make money. And all the great, great entrepreneurs, I think, are essentially greedy in a nice way. They want to make money for themselves. And the truth of the matter is, they also want to grow a business because the more they grow a business, the more money they'll make. And they've got all the shares and all the rest of it. And they keep you know, building a, a great enterprise as Richard Branson did, and as Alan Sugar did in many ways. I mean, he was worth a great money. Now, in doing so, you need other people with you, okay, in order to sustain your growing fortune, to make sure the company is successful, is making profits. And I'm not sh- I'm, I don't want to position greed as, a, as an unattractive thing, but it's what they need. That's why they started. That the great benefit of being a greedy entrepreneur <laughs> is that you bring up people with you, your number twos and your number threes, and they make a lot of money. That's the reality. And I look at Alan Sugar, who made a great deal of money, but his lieutenants, you know, his his board members... Well, you're one of them. Well, I, yeah, no, I didn't have the share options, but they did. And they they made money, I'm delighted to say. And that is the byproduct of a, a greedy entrepreneur. Now, the other entrepreneur, entrepreneur we're talking about and now over the last 10 years is a time when they really came into their own and I'll tell you why they're working they've been working for a big company for a long time they are expert at what they do and you know what happens they get made redundant yeah made redundant at 50 okay They've got all this experience, the market's turned, the, the, the company's been bought by some American venture capital company, they're out of a job. What do they do? They can either sit at home or lie at home, not get out of bed, or they can say, do you know something? Now's my time. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get together with some of the other guys that have been laid off with me or from the company over there because I know them because I've worked with them, we've traded together, or whatever it is. And we will start our own thing. And I've seen this because when I had my um, PR firm, a great friend of mine was made redundant and he was in a bit of a state. And I said to him, now, look, I'm giving you an office in my building. Okay. And it's yours and it's rent free. And I want you to sit there and get a couple of your pals and start something. And he started a very successful PR company within the sector that he had been brought up in, all right? Because in a sense, he was forced to do it. What was he going to do? He could grow, step, lie in bed at home and grow a beard, <laughs> or he could get off his backside and, 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 and use the experience he'd got. And he became very successful and remains a great, great friend of mine to this day. So there we are. Yeah. It's either that worm in your tummy or necessity. Yeah, yeah. And I think the power in each case is the same, you know, it's equally powerful. I, li- I like that word greedy because like you say, it has negative connotations, but I was greedy because I had to be. I came from very humble beginnings and I wanted to, you know, The Apprentice gave me an amazing platform, but, you know, people think that after you finish The Apprentice, you get n- knocks on the door and they go, hey, Sari, you were brilliant, come and work for us. It doesn't happen like that. But I was greedy because I wanted to you know, earn money in order to have great things in life and have those opportunities that money buy. Sure. 
and and I think I think that's a, that's not a bad thing to be. Um, but within that, when you make money, a lot of people that I know they give money back. They can help others. They can bring people up, like you say, which is important. Now, Nick, let's move on to your second lesson, which is remain focused and don't diversify too soon. How did you learn that? Well, I've seen it in in other companies. I mean, one might say that um, Alan Sugar bought Tottenham. Yeah. Well, that's some diversification, isn't it? Yes. So he had the very successful computer um, and and satellite television. Remember, he was the he, he and Murdoch brought us Sky. Okay, the two of them, the two of them. Yeah. So this was this was a some outfit, you know. And then he, he was, and I'm not telling tales out of school, he would accept that he was diverted. He was attracted by the opportunity to buy into Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. And you can't do both. Yes. And so he took yeah. his eye off Amstrad. He would readily admit, okay, he found maybe Tottenham more exciting, but it was very challenging and it was incredibly time-consuming because it was not an easy thing to run. He had some major court battles. And, yes, he made 20 million or whatever it was out of Tottenham. That's not why he went in, really. And I guess, you know, for him, from his humble beginnings, to own a football club, I mean, you made it. You know, I, I do understand why people would do something like that. But when you take your mind away from your core business... Then you're stretched too thin. And and it's like you say, it's not something that he doesn't know about football clubs, but he soon learned and then they're not it's not an easy well, business to be he in. He thought is it? it was he thought it was run like a business. Exactly, exactly. He turned it into a business, he saved it, it was going bust. Um no, he did a brilliant job, but it was a very bumpy ride for him and um distressing in many ways. And um he eventually he sold out, he made a, a profit, and then Amstrad was there. I mean, it was still, you know, in profit and so forth. Um, but um, he then sold, interestingly, sold it to Rupert Murdoch, who had been his main customer for all those years. Um, and, you know, he then got involved with um, television. Off goes another career. I mean, he's had the most extraordinary time. He's down in Australia now, you know. Um, making one for the Australians. He's down upsetting the Australians yeah. at the moment. But I think I think uh, that's a very good example, though, that you've given of, you know, keep to your core business and don't diversify too early, even though you may be attracted, there may be triggers, people might be saying, hey, look, do it. It's about keeping, you know, holding your nerve and doing the right thing. But sometimes it's a journey and you have to learn it and make your mistakes and you learn from that, don't you? Okay, Nick, last but not least, your final lesson is know when to go it alone. When did you learn that lesson? Well, it's the question that furrows the brow of every number two in the country. It does, absolutely. You know, yes. they're there, they want to go at the top. Um, they want to lead, um, they've got all the experience, and what are they going to do? Are they going to wait for the boss mm. to retire? Are they going to do a deal with the boss, as I did, um, so that I could take over and do my own thing? Um, or do we leave to get another job, maybe at the top or maybe another number two job? You know, if you've got anything about you, you want to be in charge, don't you? Because so often your boss is a dum-dum. Well, I was just about to say, when I went alone, 
when I wanted to, it was whilst working for Lord Sugar, not because I thought Lord Sugar was a dum-dum, but I just, you know, I just done The Apprentice. I've been in corporate sales all my life. I'd been given this huge opportunity and I was made sales director in one of his companies. And I do remember that was the moment I thought, hold on a minute. I think I could do this alone. I, I, I'm 34 years old now. This is the time to do it. And it's about taking a risk. And it's not easy, but, you know, it's about having the freedom to make your choice. It's about having that journey and just proving stuff to yourself. So I, I think for me, it was I did it alone after The Apprentice because it gave me the confidence to do it. And, uh, and why not? You know, and it is good. So... Very, very interesting theme, thinking like an entrepreneur, and your lessons are be greedy, remain focused, and don't diversify too soon, and know when to go it alone. Are you happy with that? I'm very happy with that. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So I say to all my listeners, Nick, uh, and you're not going to get out of this, because I know what you're like, you'll worm yourself out of it because you're good at that. Every single person has to give me a radio jingle of their lesson or theme so what would it be how would you how would you make your jingle alive and, and this will be easy to you you're a pr guy are you asking me to sing something well, you can sing it you can talk it you, you're good at talking and i'm sure you're good at singing i'm certainly not going to sing um but the rate that the jingle would be when you're successful share your success when things are tough you take the pay drop to ensure that those working for you don't have to. That's a very long jingle. Well, how well, how long's a jingle? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it supposed to be catchy? Isn't it supposed to be a bit catchy so that I'm humming it all day long because I've just heard something? You know, it's like, you know, that means I, I can't even remember that. I think it's something like be greedy, be greedy, be focused, go it alone. Yeah, there we are. That's fine. That's fine. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Mr. Nick Hewer, thank you so much. You've been amazing. Um, you've given us amazing stories and insight, and I really, really value um, what, what, your time today because I know you're very busy. So thank you very much, and I will be singing that jingle if I can remember it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so uh, thank much, Thank you for Myra. your time. Pleasure. Well, that's been Backing Brilliant Business with me, Sarah Khan. I hope you enjoyed the many words of wisdom that came from our chat with Nick Hewitt today. There'll be more amazing guests to come in the series with plenty more lessons to be learned. So please subscribe and leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow Radio Centre across all the socials on Instagram at Radio Centre underscore UK and on Twitter at Radio Centre. Until next time, bye for now. The Backing Brilliant Business series was produced by Audio Always for Radio Centre and co-created by Eardrum. Visit radiocentre.org forward slash business for more information.